following program was definitely pre-recorded. You're listening to K-Squid 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz, and KSQT Prunedale. My name is John Malkin. Today you'll hear an interview with Terry Lynn Carrington, jazz drummer, band leader, educator, and author who grounds her projects in feminism, spiritual liberation, and the movement to abolish prisons and police. Her latest album is New Standards Volume 1, and it received the 2023 Grammy for Best Instrumental Jazz Album. It's a companion to Carrington's book New Standards 101 Lead Sheets by Women Composers that was released in 2022. These projects were inspired by Carrington's realization that the go-to book for jazz musicians, the Jazz Real Book, contained very few songs by women composers. Terry Lynn Carrington will be performing at the Monterey Jazz Festival on Sunday, September 24th. Later that day, she'll be at the Pacific Jazz Cafe in a panel discussion on the abolition of police and prisons with Angela Davis and Gina Dent. Carrington works closely with Davis and Dent as curator for the Music for Abolition project of the UCSC Institute for the Arts and Sciences. The acclaimed drummer is also founder and artistic director of the Berkeley Institute of Jazz and Gender Justice. Here now is Terry Lynn Carrington. Congratulations on receiving the Grammy for the New Standards Volume 1. That is very wonderful and exciting. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I was quite excited myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can imagine. And I know that project, I, I listened to the album and it's really beautiful and has quite a variety of songs and vocal styles and rhythms. And I enjoyed it a lot. And I know it has a lot of meaning too. Part of it comes from you taking a closer look at jazz and the real jazz book and noticing how many women were included in that. That's, you know, kind of the standard book that jazz musicians go to. How many women were included in that? Um, I'm not sure 100% because there's so many different volumes of that book. Um, you know, I know that just as far as the go-to songs, there weren't very many. Uh, Anne Ronell wrote Willow Weep For Me. And then, of course, you have some blueses that Billie Holiday wrote or... Um, but those are like, you know, lyrics, later versions, Carla Blay had some songs in at some point, I know on a later version, Carmen Lundy has some songs in, but, um, you know, we're looking at hundreds of songs and very little representation. Yeah. And it's, um, it's powerful to create something new that brings more female composers to the front. And I watched your speech when you were accepting the Grammy and you were saying that you are part of a new canon in jazz. And this new album, I think is gonna be the first in probably a series, right? Well, we hope. Um, right now I'm working on uh, the new social science album, um, but the idea is also to get other people to record this music. So I may function as a producer and, you know, look at some other um, artists, you know, to do it instead of myself. Yeah, that sounds good. I want to talk to you about the Monterey Jazz Festival coming up and music for abolition and um, working with Angela Davis and Gina Dent. All of that is really um, 
really important to me, this Institute for Arts and Sciences here at the university that you're a part of and the Visualizing Abolition Project. Before we move on to that, I'd love to hear just a little more about this album, the New Standards album, and some of the people you worked with, um, like Brandy Younger, Anat Cohen, and some of the songs are just really moving and really wonderful. Um, Respected Destroyer, I really liked, and Throw It Away. And mm. some of the lyrics, like in Throw It Away, live your life each and every day. You will never lose a thing if it belongs to you. I really like that line. Would you just say a little bit about that album, how it came together, and some of the people that you work with on the album? Uh, well, I decided to record some music from the book, and I chose 11 songs from the book to highlight. And there's so many great songs in the book. It was not the easiest decision, but those were the ones I came up with. Um, and so, of course, you know, I went to the artists and let them know that I was recording their music. But some of them I rearranged, um, some a little bit, some a lot, some not at all. Uh, I was really proud of my arrangement on Moments, which was a Eliana Elias song. There was a little bit of arranging on Respected Destroyer, but not a lot, but there was definitely a few little changes. I was also really proud of my arrangement on um, Gretchen Parlato's song. Uh, oh my God, my brain just went blank. What's the name of her song? <laughs> uh, circling. And, you know, the way I do things is I make the arrangement, do demos, and then decide who I think, you know, might be a good guest artist. So that's kind of my process. When I wrote the lyric to Carla Bley's classic song, Lawns, I felt like Samara Joy would be perfect for it. And it also it would be something a little different for her from what I had been hearing, um, which I think it was. And that really came out great. One of my favorite tracks on the record throw it away. I yeah, arranged that to have um, an African flavor. So Somi was the first person I thought of and I thought it would be great as a du duet. So Melanie Charles is singing that with her. But the lyric that you mentioned uh, is a beautiful lyric, a classic lyric from Abby Lincoln. And she was a master storyteller and songwriter. So definitely wanted to include one of her pieces and that's probably one of her most famous pieces. Sunshine through 
to help us stand with a gentle kind of motion as it moves across the land and the hands unclenched and open gifts of life and love it brings so keep your hand wide open if you need an anything I love African tribal music and African rhythms. And that song opens, it sounds almost like a, maybe a anthropological recording in a village. I'm not sure. It is. Yeah, was... <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, it sounds great. I love it. And then the rhythm picks up and it's really nice. Your drumming is uh, just great. Um, I, I really enjoy listening to your, what you're doing on the drums. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much. How would I mean, you? It's funny because, you know, <laughs> the older we get, uh, drummers, you really have to stay up, you know, on this instrument. You have to practice. And I do so many things that I don't get a chance to practice um, as much as I should for sure. And I've never been a great practicer, never really been in the habit of practicing. So, um, yeah, but I can like, you know, work out through my arrangements and, you know, the things that I write and arrange, it's kind of tailor-made for me. So it works out, especially on my records. Um, but I'm just laughing because uh, at this stage in my career, this was the first year that I won drummer of the year for the downbeat critics poll 
And I felt like maybe this album had something to do with it. Um, but it's, you know, kind of ironic because <laughs> my technique is uh, not like it was 20 years ago, but that's okay. It is a really physical activity. Yeah, I mean, it's physical for sure, but it's also, you know, certain technique that you have to have with your wrists and, and fingers that has to stay uh, mobile, you know, and mm -hmm. moving. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. I've played drums since I was a little kid and mostly rock and roll type drumming. And I, I keep trying to loosen up to be able to play more jazzy and i i think a key is is uh loose looseness and flexibility mm. yeah and that doesn't just stay with you you have to keep um oiling <laughs> the machine so to say mm -hmm. on the uh website for the institute for arts and sciences at the university of california santa cruz about the Music for Abolition project. It says that Music for Abolition is the soundtrack for and heartbeat to the shared struggle for a future in which prisons, policing, and racial violence are things of the past. This is so important to me and to so many people to move away from punishment, a punishment system that involves prisons and policing and racial violence and create something new in our culture where we don't rely on that and we can create systems for safety that actually work for everyone i i brought my attention to this for many years and i'm so glad that the university is doing that and of course angela davis has been doing that for years and gina dent and those two women you've collaborated with a lot and you're going to do an event a couple a couple things at the monterey jazz festival this year and one is a discussion about music for abolition uh, with angela davis and gina dent and then you're also performing with your band tell me about both of those things and and bringing i i really admire and appreciate that you use your music to bring forth ideas about abolition um so tell me about those these two things coming up at monterey jazz festival okay well um the abolition panel discussion uh is based on the videos we created during the pandemic um music for abolition videos that were part of a distributed symposium throughout the year um, that the UCSC did with with visualizing abolition, and this was headed by Rachel Nelson and Gina Dent. And Rachel, uh, Gina asked me if I would put some music together, and I thought it would be a, a great project through the pandemic. So I curated all of these videos where it was new original pieces uh, done just for uh, this series. So there's a lot of amazing artists involved. Uh, Christian Scott, uh, Cecile McLaren-Savant, Diane Reeves, Orrin Evans and Eric Revis, Cora Coleman and Maimuna Youssef, AKA Mumu Fresh, Jose James, Elena Penderhughes and Samora Penderhughes, Lisa Fisher, uh, my band Social Science, Chris Davis. Uh, it's hard to remember everybody. Um, uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm going off the top of my brain, but a lot of amazing artists. Uh, so what we're going to do at the panel event is show parts of the videos and talk um, about the process, about um, the concept, um, and about why um, abolition is important. So I can't wait for that. And you know, music has a way of 
of bringing these issues to the forefront with people um, in a very special way. It's different than just talking about the issues. Um, and that's, I think, you know, what our band Social Science has been trying to do um, with our first album and now that we're working on our second album. And one of the songs from our second album, uh, the first song that we created for the album was for this series and it's called Abolition Song. Um, so that's what the panel discussion is. And for the performance, it's a version of New Standards. And the beautiful thing about New Standards is I can use different musicians and play different material. It doesn't have to be the material from the album. Um, it can be uh, anything from the book. And, it, and at the end of the day, we're really celebrating women composers. Um, so this show will be a core band of myself, Linda Mahon Oak, Chris Davis, and Mary Halverson. We played together once briefly for Winter Jazz Festival this past year. And right after we did that, I thought this would be a great band for Monterey. So that's what we're doing. And Diane Reeves is going to sit in with us and Lakeisha Benjamin and uh, maybe one or two others. You're listening to K-Squid 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz, and KSQT Prunedale. My name is John Malkin. You're listening to an interview with jazz drummer Terry Lynn Carrington. She'll be performing at the Monterey Jazz Festival on Sunday, September 24th. Later that day, she'll be at the Pacific Jazz Cafe in a panel discussion on the abolition of police and prisons with Angela Davis and Gina Dent. Here again is Terry Lynn Carrington. I was at the Institute for Art and Sciences Gallery, the new gallery that's so beautiful on the other side mm. of town. Uh, on June 8th, you did a wonderful little concert that was so beautiful. These two flute players were amazing and everyone actually was amazing. And then some of the audio that was part of the compositions, they were recordings of interviews with people that are in prison. And mm -hmm. this was so powerful to hear them directly in this music. Um, partly what I heard one of them saying was a lot of the work that needs to be done is to create community outside of prison that supports people and families so that we have a new structure where prisons aren't the place people are ending up. It was it was very powerful and beautiful, beautiful concert. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I had a great time putting that concert together. Uh, it was a lot of music, a lot of material um, to try to pull off live because a lot of that music was what we did uh, in the videos. So, so it's kind of a live version of the videos. The two flute players were Elena Pinderhughes and Nicole Mitchell. And that's one of the names I forgot to mention when I was listing people. Nicole Mitchell uh, is amazing. Um, and she's the one that had the video interviews uh, of the people that are uh, incarcerated. Mm -hmm. You know, three years ago, when the pandemic was really starting and then George Floyd was killed and there were huge protests and I have never heard so many people around the world saying we need to change how policing works and a lot of people were saying we need to end policing there were calls to defund or abolish the police I feel a little disappointed that 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 movement has dissipated somewhat. And I suppose it reminds me that social change movements ebb and flow. But I even now I'm hearing people like leftist people say, 
the call to abolish prisons and police was a little extreme and we didn't really mean get rid of police we meant change policing there's always this tension between reform and revolution i suppose is one way of putting it i don't know what you are thinking about all of that the the movement dissipating somewhat the energy of that and the notion the possibility which i i hold i envision a world without police and prisons i don't know what you what you think about these things well, I think it's important to envision it because it will never happen if it's not envisioned. And there's no great reason um, that we shouldn't envision that. There's a lot of investment on why people don't want people to envision that. Um, you know, there are a lot of people invested in not having people not having that vision. Um, and of course, you know, there's the for-profit uh, aspect of prison systems. Um, but I think it's really simple to wrap your brain around because it was very difficult for me to wrap my brain around it because we have been programmed to believe that there are bad people in the world and we need this entity to protect us from it. But when we look at a good, um, you know, a lot of good people are afraid, you know, scared, not safe from this entity that's supposed to protect us. And also when we look at the reasons um, that crime happens, you know, the idea is to of course fix those things and look at it systemically um, and structurally opposed to putting this police band-aid on everything. And until we look at the root source of the problem, this police band-aid will remain not only in place, but out of control. Um, and the, the, to me, this, the concept is simple. If everyone uh, has what they need in the world, then we would be shocked at um, how much crime doesn't happen. And if we take mental illness seriously, you know, we would be shocked as well. Uh, so, you know, from healthcare to uh, education, uh, you know, just to just equity in uh, all these different areas. If we really truly had that, um, then we wouldn't really need this system as it stands. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, poverty is created and Policing largely is protecting some people's wealth and property from other people. And that's been the tradition of policing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always think about the spiritual side of things too, that we're all, we're all trying to have good lives and deal with suffering that happens in our lives. And there's internal liberation and then there's social system liberation. I imagine you think about things on that level sometimes too. And I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts about how music and this effort to change these large social systems how they have some connection to uh, spirituality or or anything in that realm, and I I like to remember when there are victories in the direction of liberation or uh, ending prisons and policing. And although it's kind of a small thing, I was reminded looking again at the website for the Institute for Arts and Sciences. There's a section where it says former California governor Ronald Reagan once mm -hmm. vowed that Angela Davis would never again teach in the University of California system. And today she is professor emerita in history of consciousness and feminist studies at UCSC. So I don't know the the 
people in power change, but the structures are hard to change. And in the meantime, uh, voices of people moving towards liberation can be heard here and there. And I, those are the people I, I take my energy from. Um, and I, I feel, I feel generally optimistic, oddly, there's a lot that points to negative things happening on our planet now, for sure. But I have hope in people because I meet so many wonderful people working towards liberation and people who are enjoying their lives too. That's kind of critical. People who are connecting with themselves and others and nature and so on. So I wonder, Terry, where your energy comes from and if there is a spiritual uh, spiritual practices you do or um, if spirituality plays a role in your music and your projects. Sure, because it's all connected. There's no separation um, for me. Um, it's the part of me that connects to humanity uh, in general. Um, that's a spiritual place. And that's also, um, when people say spirituality, they think sometimes that that's not an active place. Um, and they think social political work is active. But to me, it's all connected. Because uh, if you're, uh, if you believe that you're, um, you know, part of this, you know, grand picture, and it's, it's sort of one family, you know, the human race, there's some kind of spiritual connection with a belief like that. And that's the same belief that makes you um, support and fight for your brother or sister or sibling. <laughs> You know, so I feel like this whole kind of like disconnection between church and state is kind of always been something that doesn't make sense to me. So I think once I personally decided to, how do I say, put my beliefs first and let the art support that, uh, I've been um, moving more more in the direction that uh, has to do with accomplishing a mission that I believe that I was put here to do. So that is all spiritual and it's also um, socially, being socially aware. Um, I don't particularly, you know, use the term activist, but pretty much everything I do has that mindedness um, and I just want to leave the world you know or make my contribution to the world um, you know something I can be proud of and make it meaningful and I think we're all hoping that um, things evolve and the world is left better uh, in some way in some small way um, you know than it was when we're not in this realm of existence anymore. And that's what doing that kind of work does. So I think it's just people uh, have different levels of evolution. <clears throat> and uh, some people that are motivated by greed and motivated by um, power and um, thinking just about themselves, I just look at it as they haven't evolved yet to um, think differently uh, about saving the planet and, uh, and contributing to society and bettering humanity. I'm really delighted to hear you say that this notion of separating the church and state has never made sense to you. I feel the same, but on the left in political activism, there's this tradition of, I, I suppose, you know, it does make sense if there's an authoritarian church that is influencing political structures, that's not so good. And the other way around too, if there's authoritarian politics influencing 
spirituality, that's not so good either. But this notion of saying the way we run our social systems shouldn't be influenced by spirituality or by people's impulse towards liberation and freedom and interdependence and all of that, where then does our knowledge really come from then if it's not from those things? That's always seemed odd to me too and, and kind of a bad, a bad setup for, yeah. for what will come after that. I even, a, a long, long time ago, I did an interview with Howard Zinn and he had a play about Karl Marx and it, it's like a one person play where Marx comes back to New York in modern times and talks with the audience. And in this play, he's mentioning how this famous quote of his, of Marx, that religion is the opiate of the masses, that actually, if you read the whole quote, part of the rest of it is something like uh, religion is the soul of soulless conditions. He, he's, I, I started understanding it to mean actually religion is quite important and useful, sort of the opposite of what the left has made that quote out to be. Anyway, I appreciate you bringing that up because very few people say that out loud, really. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm thinking about spirituality, which is how we talked about it, um, not necessarily religion, um, because, you know, we all see what has happened with religion. It becomes, um, you know, just as problematic as many other things uh, in the hands of the wrong people. Um, it, you know, people use it for power and uh, for money and for all the other, you know, negative things under the under the umbrella or guides of uh, religion, but spirituality is different. And um, I think that's more of what I was talking about, though it is the foundation, it's supposed to be the foundation of religion, but religion as we know it uh, should not get involved uh, because so much of it is radical and so much of it is, um, I don't know, people are led blindly um, and uh, it's power driven by uh, the people that are in control or power. So, so I don't believe that uh, religion itself needs to be involved with, um, you know, things like, you know, school um, or, you know, just however those, those um, separations came about, I understand it, but Spirituality is a different thing. And um, I, when I think of that, I think of life philosophy. I don't even use the term religion, um, but I practice Buddhism. And um, Buddhism is, is a life philosophy. And I just feel like all religions have uh, a similar base philosophically. You know, and it's, of course, they all, they all have their differences, but um, we all know innately, I believe, what's right and what's wrong. And if we just start there, then it connects all of us. And there's a, I think a spirituality that connects all of us. And that's really what I was referring to. Yeah, and I understand that. And I am completely on the same page. And I have practiced Buddhist practices for most of my life. And that makes most sense to me. And um, meditation has been really beautiful for my life. And I view these realms as spiritual and not religious also. And I agree that all these religions at the base are teaching, be kind to other people, especially people you disagree with. And it is perplexing that on top of that loving, notion get built wars it does, it's um that's mind-boggling yeah it doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah.
You're listening to K-Squid 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz, and KSQT Prunedale. My name is John Malkin. You've been listening to an interview with Terry Lynn Carrington. Her latest album, New Standards Volume 1, received the 2023 Grammy for Best Instrumental Jazz Album. Terry Lynn Carrington will be performing at the Monterey Jazz Festival on Sunday, September 24th. Later that day, she'll be at the Pacific Jazz Cafe in a panel discussion on the abolition of police and prisons with Angela Davis and Gina Dent. Carrington works closely with Davis and Dent as curator for the Music for Abolition project of the UCSC Institute for the Arts and Sciences. The acclaimed drummer is also founder and artistic director of the Berkeley Institute of Jazz and Gender Justice.
anybody listening, whoever you are, who's listening, I know that I don't know you, but I know that in order to listen to this chat we're having right now, you had to live. And in order to live, you must have suffered. And I want you, whoever you are, whatever you're up to right now, I, I would like you to know that uh, I admire you for living. And I, I know that it's tricky, it's tricky sometimes. And um, this world wouldn't be what this world is if you weren't exactly who you are. And I love this world, and I love, I love that you're alive. K-Squid, K-Squid, K-Squid on 90.7 FM. Thank you.